Uh, welcome all of you that are uh, watching online. I'm, I'm glad that you're with us. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, okay? Matthew chapter 5. And I want you to know um, whether you're sitting in a building hearing somebody preach live or you're watching online like you are right now, there's probably not a greater sentence than the one you just heard me say. And that is, take your Bibles and turn to. Because what's important is, is what's said between these two leather-bound covers. Now, if you don't have a Bible, they're gonna show up on the screen for you. But I want you to know, it's really important that whether you're watching online or you're actually in a building live, that you're reading from the Word of God, that the preacher is preaching from the Word of God. Unfortunately, today, there's too many churches where you do not hear that phrase anymore. Take your Bibles and, and turn to. So, a few weeks ago here at Big Valley, we started a, a series uh, where we're looking at the first part of the greatest sermon that was ever preached. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, and we're only looking at a little small piece of it. But it is by far the greatest sermon ever preached. I wanna encourage you, challenge you, if you've never read the entire Sermon on the Mount, you need to do that. It might take you, I don't know, three, four minutes but it'll be the best three or four minutes of your life because it is by far the greatest sermon ever preached. Look at Matthew chapter five and verse one, okay? Now when he saw the crowds, okay, that word he there, that's Jesus. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat, he sat down. That's where we get the title Sermon on the Mount because this is where it's gonna take place. And at the topography, I want you to think of Oakdale. Imagine those rolling hills in Oakdale. I've been to the very spot where this, this sermon happens. And so here's Jesus, he's on this mountainside and he sits down, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, people persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And I'm gonna stop right there, okay? Over and over and over again, Jesus uses the word blessed. And that word blessed basically means happy. 
So what we have here in these 11 verses is Jesus saying, happy are those of you that do this, or happy are those of you that do that. That's what this little section's all about. It's about how you can experience real happiness. And, and I want you to know that the, the happiness that's mentioned here that Jesus talks about here in Matthew 5 is way different than the happiness that the world offers. The world certainly offers a, some happiness. But this happiness is something that's way deeper. It's way more significant. It, it, it's, it's just way different than what the world offers. But here's the deal. Um, you, have to, you have to live in a certain way for God to bless you. In other words, if you want to be, uh, I don't know, happy in school or happy in your career or happy in your marriage or happy in your singleness or happy in your finances, happy in your circumstances, if you want this blessing from God, you have to live a certain way. Because God's not gonna bless sin, right? God's not gonna bless disobedience. There's a lot of things that God won't bless. So in order for God to bless you, you have to be blessable. And that's basically what the Beatitudes are, are all about. And so far, we've looked at the first two, okay? So if you're joining us right now, and this is the first time you've been a part of this series, I'm gonna get you caught up here real quick. So that way we're all on the same page, okay? We looked at the first two, which are blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those that mourn. And I want you to look at verse three again. Jesus says, blessed, happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's where it all begins. If you really want to find true happiness, if you really want to find true deep inner contentment, it all starts with this simple and yet profound verse. And maybe to help you understand it a little bit better, I, I reworked it a little bit, okay? Okay, so, so these are my words. Happy, joyful, and content are those who recognize they're spiritually dead due to their sin. For then, and only then, will God invade their life and grant them entrance into his eternal kingdom. And you ought to write that down. I think that that's a, uh, just a, a really good thought as it relates to this third verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Everybody's spiritual journey begins right here. When you recognize that you're dead in your sins, when you recognize that you're spiritually bankrupt, when you recognize that your sin separated you from God, that your only hope is to cry out to God for his mercy, his forgiveness, when you recognize these things, this is a good day for you when you understand just how poor in spirit you are, because in your spiritual poverty and you're crying out for God, he promises that he'll come and invade your life. And when God comes and invades your life, that's when you find or experience true happiness. That's when you find or experience a, a joy that fills your soul completely. That's when you find that deep inner contentment that we all want.
It all begins when you understand just how poor in spirit that you are. Now look at verse four. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Once again, I rewrote, re rewrote this for you so that you can get a better understanding of what this verse means. Happy, joyful, and content are those whose hearts have been broken and are deeply sorrowful over their sinfulness, for they will be overwhelmed by God's comfort, love, forgiveness, and peace. So I rewrote verse four to help you understand what it means when he says, blessed are those who mourn. You see, mourning over your sin, having a, a broken heart over your sinfulness grows out of you recognizing just how poor in spirit you are. See that? Does that make sense? You mourn because you know what the price was to cleanse you of your sin. God's son, his perfect and holy and righteous son. You mourn because you understand the sacrifice that God had to make to make you right. That's what you're mourning over. It breaks your heart. It costs God his son to make everything right again between you and the Father. And when you mourn over this, God promises to flood you with his comfort. Now, I want you to know that there are other applications to all of these blessings that we're going to look at over the next few weeks. I'm giving you what I think is the weightiest one, okay? Today, we're going to focus on verse 5. So now we're all caught up. Look at verse 5. The Bible says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Once again, I reworked this a little bit so you can better understand it. Happy, joyful, and content are those that submit their lives to God and humble themselves before him and allow him to control their every thought and action. For in so doing this, <clears throat> this world and the world to come are theirs to enjoy. And you ought to write that down. That helps you understand kind of what this, what this verse five is all about. And by the way, this is the next logical step in your spiritual journey. First, you recognize you're poor in spirit, which then leads you to give your life up to God, right? Then you mourn over your sinfulness. You, you mourn over what your sin cost God. It cost him his son, and then you submit. You humbly submit your total life to him. In fact, let me give it to you in a sentence, okay? A meek person understands who they are, a sinner. And they know who God is, the Savior, and they gladly submit their lives to him and his control. And as I've studied this, I didn't put this last sentence on here for a while. I only had, you know, a meek person understands who they are. They're a sinner. And they understand who God is. They're the Savior. And they gladly submit their lives to him. And the more I studied this, 
I knew this was an important three words. Not only do they submit their lives to him, but they submit their lives to him and, and his control, his control. Let me give you some words that will help you maybe better understand what um, meek really means, okay? These are just some words. Gentle, that's another word for meek. Humble, tenderhearted. And by the way, these are some of the same words that are used to describe Jesus himself, right? Gentle, humble. In fact, listen to what Jesus said about himself in Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. That's what Jesus says about himself. In other words, Jesus is basically telling us about his meekness. Beloved, a a person that's meek or a person that's gentle can possess great strength They can be incredible leaders. They can be super influential people. A meek person can rally people to a a cause. They, They can be people who have great convictions. I want you to think about it. Nobody will ever question whether Jesus possessed great strength or was a great leader or had the ability to influence people, yet he was meek. No doubt about it. He was humble. He was gentle. Meekness is one of the great characteristics of a Christian. Why? Because meekness was a great characteristic of Jesus. You ought to let that sink in. If you claim to know the Lord, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, if you're one of his disciples, one of the great characteristics of your life should be meekness. Because the one in whom we follow was weak. It was one of the great characteristics of of his life. Let me give you an illustration. I, I watched a movie not long ago, and it was about this horse trainer. Um... He was kind of a horse whisperer, and uh, he could take these horses that were totally out of control, and in some cases, scary. In fact, in the movie, there was this one horse, beautiful horse, beautiful animal, but it was wild, and he was out of control, and he was super scary to even get in a rink with, right, because he was just so powerful. But this horse whisperer could get in there and he began to train this horse. This horse, by the end of the movie, allowed himself to be controlled by this man. And all of a sudden, this out of control, scary animal became incredibly useful. 
because now he was allowing himself to be controlled by whoever the writer was. I, I, I brought an egg with me. Give you another, another illustration, if I could. Um, just to maybe illustrate this idea that meekness or gentleness is strength under control. Um, I'm holding this egg, and this is a real egg. I have the strength, I have the power to break it in my hand. I could do it. I could do it easy. I could do it without thinking about it. I could do it and just continue just preaching this message and wouldn't even think twice about it. It'd be super easy for me with my power and my strength to break this egg. Is it broken? No, why? Because my strength is under my control. I control my strength. I'm not gonna let my strength break this egg. I could, but instead I'm in control of my strength and therefore tomorrow morning I can have you know, my eggs and I do eat eggs every single morning. Meekness is being in control of the power within you. Does that make sense? Meek people are, are people under control. Jesus was a powerful man under the control of his father, right? He was a powerful man who submitted himself to his father and he allowed his father to lead him. Jesus said this in John chapter four. He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. We, we see Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, submitted himself to his Father and his will. He said this in John chapter five. He said, by myself I can do nothing, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but to please the one who sent me. In other words, you're seeing Jesus allowing the Father to control him. Jesus said this in John chapter six. He said, for I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. Once again, here's Jesus, okay? The second person of the Holy Trinity, right? He, he's, he's God in human form. He's powerful. He's got all kinds of juice, right? But he's allowing the Father to control him. That's the sign. That's the characteristic of a meek person. Jesus said this in John chapter eight. He said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one who I claim to be and that I do nothing of my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone for I always do what pleases him. That's a characteristic of a meek person. 
They have the power to do whatever it is they want to do, basically. But a meek person allows themselves to be under the control of the Father. Jesus was in total submission to his Father. His power and authority came from his willingness to humble himself before his Father. He allowed himself to be under the control of his Father. Once again, meekness or gentleness is strength under the control of God. Now, this is what I want you to do. Even if you're by yourself right now, you could be sitting in your living room, maybe you're watching on a computer, I don't know. I think I know of some people that are probably watching in their motorhomes right now, their fifth wheels right now. This is what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you one minute, basically. And even if you're by yourself, you can do this, okay? I want you to think of the meekest person that you know. I've given you a definition of meekness. Somebody who allows the Father to control, to control them. They've submitted themselves to the Father and his will. Around your table, with each other, can't be Jesus. It's somebody you personally know. Who's someone that you go, man, according to that definition that Pastor Rick gave me, this is who I think is the meekest person that I know. I'm gonna give you just, just, just a minute, okay? Just, just talk right now. Give you another 10 seconds, okay? Finish up. All right. So I don't know whether you shared. I, I don't know. Maybe you felt uncomfortable. I, you know, maybe you were just all by yourself and you just had to think about someone that you knew. Obviously, over the last couple of weeks as I've been pre preparing for this, I was asking myself that question, basically. Who, who are some of the people in my life who, you know, they're just meek. They're, they're, they allow God to, to control them. They, they allow God and his will, his word to, to, to control them. And there were a number of people that came to my mind. Strong people, strong leaders. Wow, they were under the control of the Father. Let me give you two moments in the life of Jesus that I, I think maybe best illustrate power under control. And remember, we're called to be like Jesus. We're, we're called to imitate him. All of us need to be like Jesus. Jesus was meek. But I, I have these two illustrations. Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 26. 
And look at verse 47. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, arrived with a crowd of men armed with swords and clubs. They were in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane. They had been sent by the leading priests and elders of the people. The traitor, Judas, had given them a prearranged signal. You will know which one to arrest when I greet him with a kiss. So Judas came straight to Jesus. Greetings, Rabbi, he exclaimed, and he gave him a kiss. And Jesus said, my friend, go ahead and do what you have come for. Then the others grabbed Jesus and they arrested him. But one of the men with Jesus pulled his sword and struck the high priest's slave, slashing off his ear. That's an illustration of somebody who's not meek. That's an illustration of somebody who is allowing their power out of control. That was Peter, by the way. Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. And listen to verse 53. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly? That's strength under control. Jesus had an assignment given to him by God that he was to accomplish on this planet. And that assignment was to go to a cross and die on a cross as crummy and as painful and as horrendous as that was going to be, that's what the Father wanted him to do. And here he is being arrested. And he makes this statement, hey, if I wanted to, I could ask my Father and he'd send you know, an army of angels and this would be over with. But here's what I'm doing. I'm allowing myself to be led by my Father. That's one of the great moments where we see, you know, power out of control. And that's, you know, Peter cutting off the ear. And then we see Jesus, power under control. Turn to Matthew chapter 27, just a few pages over. <clears throat> it says this in verse 39, after they nailed him to the cross. The soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. A sign was fastened above Jesus' Jesus's head announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two revolutionaries were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. The people passed by, shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Well then, if you're the son of God, save yourself and come down from the cross. <coughs> the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So is he the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now and we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let God rescue him, rescue him now if he wants him. 
For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. So here we have Jesus on a cross. Got nails in his hands, nail in his feet. Got a crown of thorns on his head. He's been whipped to a pulp. People down there mocking him, making fun of him, spitting on him. And he's the son of God. He has all the power. And yet, he has submitted himself to the will of the Father. He was willing to go through all of that because that's what the Father wanted him to do. A meek person has God's will right here. I know exactly what the Father wants me to do. I know exactly how the Father wants me to live. I have it right here. So do you. And a meek person humbles themselves before God and says, okay, God, if this is what you want, then I'll do it. You can see how it all starts with being poor in spirit. You recognize you can't save yourself, that you're doomed, and you, you give your life to God. And then you go, wow, God, this is incredible. And you mourn over what it cost God. It cost him his son. And now there's this humbleness about your life where you've submitted your life to God and his will. So verse five says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. What does that mean? They will inherit the earth. What do you mean we're going to inherit the earth? Well, um, I, I think it means two things. I think. I'm going to give them to you. Number one, to inherit the earth means that they will have great influence on others around them in the world they live in. You see, if you were to go back to it, you know, the beginning, you know, if you're poor in spirit, guess what? You're, you're going to heaven. I mean, you see all these things, but now the meek are going to inherit the earth. Well, I think what that means is, I think what Jesus was saying is, is this, is that when you live a meek life, when you live a life where you have submitted yourself humbly to do and carry out God's will, wow, the earth's yours. Down here, this side of glory is yours, man. You're going to have incredible influence down here on this planet. I think that's one of the things it means. But I also think it means this, is that they will ultimately rule and reign with Jesus during the thousand year millennial reign. There's coming a moment when Jesus is gonna come back, right? He's gonna set up his kingdom and it's during that time that you'll reign on this planet, literally with Jesus. And I don't have time to go into that. That'd be a great homework assignment for all of you. But Jesus says, the meek are going to inherit the earth. When you submit yourself to God and his will for your life, and you allow your power, your strength, to come under the control of the Father, wow, you'll have 
incredible influence down here on, on planet Earth. Look, thank you again for, for joining, us. I'm, I'm joining us online. I'm gonna pray, and, uh, and then we're gonna call it a, a we'll, 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 we'll be done here, okay? So let me pray for everybody. So Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us, and I'm really grateful for this sermon we're looking at, or at least the first part of this sermon. We know, Lord, that when we give our lives to you, when we recognize we're poor in spirit, ours is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to heaven at that moment. We're done. It's done. When we take our last breath here, we're going to be with you. But we also know, Lord, that when we mourn, when we know what it costs to cleanse us of our sins, you comfort us in such an incredible way. And now, God, you've asked us to, to live out our lives with meekness, to submit ourselves to the will of the Father. And when we do that, God, the great blessing is, is that we're going to have influence You'll give your people influence when they live a life of meekness. Thanks, Jesus, for this time. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen. Hey, listen, blessings, everybody.